So all of us have said things that uh, as soon as the words left our mouth, I mean the millisecond that the words left our mouth, we thought, oh man, I wish I hadn't said that, right? I mean, some of your most embarrassing moments have been when you said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Some of the most destructive moments in your life relationally is when you let something slip that you shouldn't have said. And as soon as the words left your mouth, you saw the look in the eyes of the person that you were talking to. And you saw that you had deeply hurt that person. And you wish you could take the words back. You wish you could hit delete. But with your mouth, you can't, you can't do that. And, and, and we all know the futility of saying, well, I didn't mean it the way it sounded. But I've never ever heard anybody when I've said, well, well, I didn't mean it the way I've sounded. I've never heard anybody say, oh, well, that makes me feel a whole lot better. Okay, okay, okay. You know, doesn't happen. No, no, you can't take words back once they've been spoken. When we were in seminary, Karen and I lived in some government subsidized apartments with a lot of other uh, seminary student couples, and um, while we were there, we, we met and struck up a, a, a friendship with an older woman who had been a missionary, and uh, she, she just kind of adopted us, and uh, she was a very nice woman, and, and from time to time, she would invite us over for supper, and we liked her, but we really didn't enjoy her cooking. I mean, the woman couldn't cook. And one night we were over for supper, and after supper she brought out dessert, and it was this wonderful-looking lemon meringue pie. And, uh, and she set it down in front of me, and I took my fork, and I could not get through the crust. I mean, it was like a piece of concrete. And, and I'm like up on top of it, and I'm trying to cut it with a fork and poke holes in it, and, he, and you, you, you just couldn't get through it. Well, about a month later, another semi, a seminary couple uh, had us over for dinner, and um, it was a delicious meal. And after supper, wife brings out lemon meringue pie, which, of course, reminds me about eating over at Mary Ellen's and how she made this lemon meringue pie that you could not cut through the crust. I mean, the stuff, the crust was like the stuff NASA uses on space shuttles. I mean, I'm going on and on and on about the lemon meringue pie and I took out my fork to take a bite and I stick it in the pie crust, concrete. It is the same. It's the same, I don't know, it must have been something going on with lemon meringue pie and crust back in the 80s, but you could not get through that crust either. And the whole group of us went totally quiet, silent, while we're just kind of scraping the lemon meringue off of the concrete crust. Now, man, I wish I could have taken back those words, but I couldn't. And I think after that, we never got invited back for supper again. I mean, it is hard to undo the damage of careless words because words are powerful. They can be life-giving or life-crushing. And we, and we know that, and we know to a great degree that our words shape our relationships because everyone in here has been shaped to some extent by the things that our parents said to us. And our parents didn't, and neither do we, for that matter. We, parents don't always say the right, t- right thing. Sometimes parents can say some really ugly things. 
Your competency at work, how well you do at work, your motivation for doing your job is shaped to some extent by what your boss says to you and what your coworkers say to you. As a student, your words are shaping the relationship you have with your parents and with your brothers and sisters. Your words shape the relationships you have with friends. For some of us, our greatest regrets revolve around words we said when someone invited us to do something that we knew was wrong and we said yes when we should have said no. Or your greatest regret may come from something you said that destroyed a friendship or some of your friendships have been destroyed by people who said one thing to you but then said another thing about you to other people and then you found out about it. Words matter, don't they? And then uh, think about it, our, our greatest joys revolve around uh, our words. Remember, uh, those of us, those of you that are married, remember when, when, when he popped the question in those four little words, I mean, it was just like, will you marry me? Oh, unbelievable. Or, or do you remember the first time someone you love said back to you um, the three little words, I love you, or, or, uh, or the two words, I'm pregnant, you know, Words matter, words can hurt, words can heal, words can make us happy. And so this morning we're starting a new summer sermon series entitled The Words We Use. And by the way, if this is your first time joining with us, we wanna welcome you, we're glad you're here. And uh, what, one of the things that we want you to know about us is that uh, most often on Sunday mornings we are teaching our way through whole books of the Bible and we just finished a 63 week uh, study in the Gospel of John, and this fall we'll be teaching through Ephesians. But typically during the summer, we'll do more of a topical series, and this summer we're looking at the words we use, the words we use with God, the words we use with each other, and the words we use on mission. And I'll be honest, I am definitely not an expert on this topic. In fact, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this series is because I really need to hear what I'm gonna be preaching on. <laughs> and too often, my words, some of you got that, my words are careless and critical and caustic way too much. And the problem is I don't think much about it. I don't think much about what I say and how I say it. I mean, after all, as the great theologian Barry Gibb put it, it's only words and words are to take your heart away. Hey, hey, hey. They're only words, right? Doesn't, no big deal, only words. But as we saw in the bumper video, Proverbs 18:21 tells us that uh, life and death are in the power of the tongue. Meaning, in a very real sense, every conversation that that you have is either life-giving or life-taking, life-crushing. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Our words have the power to hurt. Our words have the power to heal. And so I, we, need to take our words more seriously because I assure you, God takes them seriously. And this morning, we're gonna look at a passage of Scripture where we see just how seriously God takes our words. So take your Bible paper or digital, and find your way to James chapter 3, and let's see what God's Word says about our words. Now, James is the author of this little short New Testament letter. He was the little brother of Jesus and the leader of the newly formed church in Jerusalem. And James is writing to his friends who are facing hardship and persecution for their faith, 
And basically, he's saying to them, unless your faith expresses itself in tangible actions, your faith is useless. It's worthless. It will do you or others no good. And all through this letter, James has applied this idea not only to our works, but to our words. Let me show you James 1.13. He says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Now, at a minimum, this passage is speaking about the significance of our words as they relate to the trials we face, how we talk about the hard things that we are going through. James 1, 19 and 20 says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So James knows, as we also know, that nothing evokes anger and causes hurt uh, like thoughtless, careless words. And no words are as thoughtlessly and carelessly spoken as words spoken in anger. So James says, listen more, speak less. James 1.26 says, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart, and this person's religion is worthless. And so in chapter two, he's all over his friends for the way they use their words. They, they, they flatter rich people and put down poor people, totally disregarding the fact that the kingdom of God is for all people, especially the poor. And he calls them out for how they just throw around worthless God bless yous to people in need without lifting a finger to help them. They talk about their faith, and they, they talk about what they believe, but their talk doesn't get translated into any kind of action. So he says in James 2.12, so speak and act as those who are free, as those who are judged under the law of liberty. So you see, all through the letter, James calls out his friends for how they're talking about God and to God and how they're talking about, about and to each other. Because again, these friends are going through trials, difficult times, and they've been ridiculed and rejected, and, and, and some of them run out of their homes, and some of them run out of their towns. And you and I both know that when we're under stress, and when pressure mounts, when things aren't going the way that we want, we're tempted to say things that we later end up regretting. In fact, in, many times in a trial, our tongues create more trials. Many times we, we say things that makes matters even worse. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Okay, a few of you, the rest of you have a problem with lying. That's also words. <laughs> That's also about words. We'll talk about lying at some point, I guess. But, um. So according to James, our words, what we say and how we say it, are inseparably connected to the integrity of the profession of our faith. He's saying faith is not expressed in life-giving words, won't save your marriage, won't save your reputation, won't save you from falling into temptation when you go through trials and difficulties, won't, won't save you from the negative consequences of sin or God's discipline in your life. He's saying your faith must influence your tongue or you're going to end up in real trouble. He's saying, let what you say you believe about Jesus shape what you say and how you say it. And in chapter three, James underscores just how difficult that can be. 
He says some pretty shocking things about the words we use. And the question is, what is James doing with what he's saying about the words we use? What's he doing with what he's saying? Well, first of all, let's see what he says. Uh, Follow along as I read James chapter three, verses one through 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able to also bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they're large and powerful and are driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small body part, and yet it boasts of great things. How great a fire is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. It's a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, reptile, sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in in the likeness of God. And from the same mouth come blessing and cursing, and brothers and sisters, these things should not be. There's a spring Pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, brothers and sisters, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. And this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now look back at James chapter three, verse one. He begins with something that I've been very anxious to teach on. And that is, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. Now, actually, let's just skip this verse and move on to verse two. Um, No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But, but, actually, let me go ahead and read verse two, and then we're gonna take them both together, okay? He says, for we all, James the teacher includes himself in this statement, we all stumble in many ways, but if anyone doesn't stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body. So now, as James writes, you have to keep in mind that back in the day, culturally, the office of teacher or rabbi was highly valued and that title carried around profound uh, status when it was attached to your name. And there was a, a strong desire among many in the early church to have the title and influence of being a rabbi. And as you read through the New Testament, that's why there are constant warnings about false teachers in the early church. The writers of the New Testament constantly warn uh, Christians to pay attention to what's being taught because these false teachers were everywhere and some of their jacked up teaching was doctrinal and some of it was ethical and immoral and it was just a mess. And so James takes something that they would have been familiar with and that is the popularity of teaching and the prevalence of false teaching and he uses it as a launching pad to talk about the tongue, about how people use their words and he applies it to everyone. So what I'm saying is the verses that we're looking at here in verses one and two are not just for those who wanna be pastors or teachers of the Bible, it definitely applies there, but 
in verse two, he broadens the application to everyone. Now, actually, I, I don't want to brush past the significance of what James says about teachers and the judgment, stricter judgment we incur, because the point is with influence comes responsibility. And I do feel a great weight, an appropriate weight of responsibility in what I say and how I say it. I mean, should I? Yeah, absolutely. Should you? Absolutely. And here at Fellowship Greenville, we're constantly looking to equip people to serve as teachers here, whether it's in a, as, as, uh, some small group, uh, as a small group leader, or, and that could be uh, with adults or our students or kids, but also we strive to equip parents to teach your kids at home. And James is saying, if you're a teacher, if you're a parent, if you're a counselor, your words matter. There's an appropriate weight of responsibility that comes with your influence. Your words matter. Whether spoken, text, tweeted, Facebooked, your words matter. Now, researchers have said that men speak about 10,000 words a day and women speak about 20,000 words with gusts up to 30. <laughs> and by the way, that's why, that's why when guys come home at the end of the day, they've used up all their words. There's nothing left to say. But women still have about 10,000 left over. And, and that can cause all kinds of problems, can it? Now, I don't want to be too stereotypical. It could be the other way around in your home. But here's the point that I want to make. You know, with us speaking 10 to 20,000, 30,000 words a day, that's 10 to 20,000 opportunities for us to sin with our mouth. And so James says in verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. We all stumble in many ways in the words we use. But he's, he's not saying, and hey, don't, it, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Everybody messes up sometimes. Uh, it's just, it's just every, they, everybody says things that they wish they hadn't said. It's no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, 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 no. James says, it is a big deal, a really big deal. I mean, he says, if we don't stumble in what we say, it's an audible mark of spiritual maturity. He says, if you're able to bridle your tongue, you're as close to perfection as you'll get in this life. Not sinless perfection. That's not possible in this life. That's why he says we all stumble in many ways. But perfect as in a spiritually mature individual. Now, look at verses three through five. He says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at ships, they're so large and they're driven by strong winds, and, but they're guided by just a little small rudder wherever the pilot directs. So the tongue, it's, it's a small body part, but, but it boasts of great things. In other words, he says you can take a thousand pound racehorse, and I don't know if you like to watch the Derby and the Preakness, I, I, I do, because the horses are beautiful and these animals are powerful. And you can take that racehorse and you put a bit in his mouth and that jockey sits on the back of that horse and that small piece of metal brings all that horsepower under control. We get that. And to drive home that point, he gives us a second illustration. He says, think about a ship. No matter how large the ship is, ocean liner, uh, aircraft carrier, destroyer, whatever, the entire ship, the course of that ship 
is controlled by the rudder, which is a very small part of the ship compared to the, to the bulk of the rest of the ship. That small rudder controls the direction, the course of the entire ship. So what's his point? What's he getting at? Number one, our tongues determine the course of our entire lives. Our tongues, the words we use, can determine the course of our entire lives for, for good or bad. And when James says our tongues boast of great things, he's not just talking about bragging. That's one way our tongues get us in trouble. But what James is really saying is that the tongue has the amazing potential to affect the direction of our lives. Now think about it. We, our words got us our jobs. Our words got us our wives. Our words got us our husbands. Our words get us dates. Our words get us cars and houses and, and friendships. Your words make you a good or a poor communicator, and that can determine how well you do in your career. Uh, your, your words uh, um, determine whether or not you're a good or a, a poor salesperson or a good or poor negotiator or a good or poor counselor. Your words may have landed you in jail. Your words may have gotten you expelled from school. Your words may have allowed you to finagle your way out of a, out of a ticket, a traffic ticket. And we could go on and on. What we say, our words, just our words can affect the whole course of our life. Now, listen to how Peter agrees with James, but then he takes what James says a little bit further in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called. Bless others that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever, this is from Psalm 31, he quotes the Old Testament here. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from seeking, speaking deceit. So, so, so James and Peter are telling us that our whole life would change for the better if we learn to better control what we say. And James says our words determine the course of our life. Peter says our words determine the quality of our life. See, if you love life and want to see good days, keep your tongue under control. They're, they're telling us, look, if you work on this one area, if you can just get control of this, if you can grab the tongue, I mean, if you can take hold of that, I mean, you want more patience, grab your tongue. You, you want to be known as an honest person, watch what you say. Want to be a more loving, caring person, control your tongue. Want to be more encouraging, more encur say encouraging things. Want better relationships, less conflict in relationships. Want a better life, grab your tongue. Why? Because our words affect every facet of our life. Our words affect the course of our life and the quality of our life. And I, I think we know that. I mean, you might not have thought about it in a while, but it's something that you would agree with. I don't really have to work to convince you of it, I don't think. But it is something that we all need to be reminded of. And that's one of the things that James is doing with what he's saying, he's reminding us. Now, I think all of that is kind of introduction because now in the middle of what someone called verse five, James takes a turn and he gets to the heart of what he really wants to say because he's been talking about horses being directed by small bits in their mouths and ships being 
directed by and steered by small rudders. And it's like he's saying, just because something is small, uh, don't underestimate its significance. I mean, I weigh 100 and about 165 pounds. I'm told that a human male tongue weighs two and a half ounces. But just because my tongue is small does not mean it's no big deal. No, there's something else he wants us to know about our tongues. Not only does your tongue direct the course of your life, your tongue, your words, have the potential to direct the course of other people's lives. And that's my second point. Our words have the potential to direct the course of other people's lives. Now look in the middle of verse five. He says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a, a small fire. He says, imagine the damage one small match can do. One little spark from one little match can burn down thousands and thousands, ten thousands of acres of, of land. One little spark could burn down this entire building. And if you've been with us since the early days on Woodruff Road, you know that that building down there started with an electrical spark. One match could burn down an entire city. One match can start a fire that can spread and do unbelievable damage if it gets out of control. And he applies this to the tongue. Look at verse six. He says, and the tongue is a fire. It is a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. And it's set on fire by hell. Man. Now, I found this, this picture that I'm using as my uh, desktop uh, background uh, to kind of remind me that I have a tongue that can be very fiery. And I also found this one. I like this picture too, because it really gets to the heart of the tongue there with fire. And uh, I'm, I'm, it's kind of silly, but I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm kind of thinking like, what if this visual popped in my head every time I was about to say a careless thoughtless, angry word. I got the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. Now, so you see what he's saying. The tongue is, is this very world of evil. It, it, there isn't any evil in the world that could not be initiated by words, wars. Think of Adolf Hitler. Wars, hatred, holocaust, violence, racism have been initiated and inflamed by words. Today, fear and anger are gripping so many people in this country. And that fear and anger are the negative outcomes of the inflammatory rhetoric that we hear in politics and on the news we listen to and in social media. James is right. The tongue is the very world of evil. And James says, it sets on fire the entire course of our lives and the entire course of other people's lives. Uh, my friend, Chris Dolson, who is pastor at Black Hawk Church up in Madison, Wisconsin, I talk about him all the time. He tells, he, uh, he tells a story about a, an older woman who came to his church and, and he and she became good friends and um, her name was Mabel and she was a lonely lady. She had never been married, of course, no, no children, never had any friends. And part of the reason was because of how she kept herself. And she really didn't take a bath on a regular basis. And um, her clothes were old and, and wrinkled and her hair was unkept. And she just kind of lived in an unclean way. And, and she, was, she was rather attractive, he said, but she just didn't, 
She just didn't take care of herself. And he got to know her pretty well and, and months and months and months went by. And one day he was talking to her and he said, Mabel, can I just talk a little bit about the way you keep yourself? You know, if you would take care of yourself a bit, a bit more, then you, you, you might find that people w wouldn't back away from you so much. And she just smiled and she said, you want to know the reason why I'm like I am? She said, when I was a little girl, my mom caught me looking into a handheld mirror as I tried to fix my hair. And she walked over to me and said, what are you doing? You are ugly. You will never be beautiful. And she took the mirror and threw it against the wall and broke it. She was burned. Those words from her mother burned her, put a permanent scar on her life. Those words changed the whole course of her life and the way she saw herself, infecting her with shame. That's how powerful the tongue is. A while back, I, I read about a woman who was pulled out of a river outside of Los Angeles, and it was an obvious suicide, and, and, and the, the police found no identification. The only thing they found was a note that had been pinned to her blouse that said, they said, they said. No, no one knew what was said. No one knew who said it. But to her, those words were as deadly as a smoking revolver. So you see, not only do our words determine the course of our life, our words can also determine the course of other people's lives. And some of you in this room, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The, the fire of a loose tongue can burn people, sometimes permanently. And because the tongue is a fire, the potential always exists to begin a string of damage and hurt. It can happen. Like, I could say three words in the next 10 seconds, and, and my ministry would be over. Today on the way home, you have the potential to destroy your whole family with words. You could go to work tomorrow and in 20 minutes, they could be dragging you out the front door and by, by noon, your whole career could be shot because of something you said. Just go, uh, just say the wrong word as you go through the gates at the airport and you'll see what happens to you. <laughs> Words are serious. But again, you already know that, don't you? I don't think it's something I have to work to prove or convince you of. And some of you might be thinking, uh, Charlie, I... I know it's true because I burned down my marriage with my words, and I see it now. Or I burned down my relationship with my son because of my words, with what I said to him in anger. Or I burned down my career with what I said the day I lost it at work. Or I destroyed a friendship with my tongue. Most of us can still feel the scorch of somebody else's tongue. And if we had spiritual eyes, we would see that we're all burn victims to some extent. If we had spiritual eyes, we could look around at the people that are uh, sitting around us and we could see at least third degree burns on just about everyone in here and a whole lot of smoke damage as well because of the dangerous power of an unbridled tongue. That old saying, sticks and stones may break my bones but words can never hurt me, not true is it? Not true. We've all been burned, and we've all burned others with, with our words. And we know that. But we're really good excuse makers, aren't we? We say things, well, it wasn't my fault. 
I mean, I, I didn't really mean to say that, but, but he forced me to. Or, well, she deserved it. She deserved it. Or, I, I, look, I, I was just being honest. Or, I was just kidding. Come on. Or, well, I, I admit it, I was really mad. Okay, so, so what's your most recent excuse for saying something you know you shouldn't have said? We spewed out words and accusations based on opinion and judgment, not based on facts. We've all passed along gossip and slander, sometimes under the pretense of a prayer request, or because we want people to think that we're important because we know things that they don't know. And, 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 the, and, and the worst thing about this is most of it has been intentional. And much of it has been rationalized under the guise. I'm just telling it like it is. But the truth is, at least as far as the Bible is concerned, truth was never meant to travel unaccompanied by love. We deliberately hurt with our words because we've been hurt with our words. We insult. We return insult for insult thinking we're justified in doing it because, well, they started it. Okay, okay, okay. So, so what do we do with all this? Like, like when I read these verses, like I want help. I'm like, okay, James, I agree with you. I know what you're saying is true. What do I do? <laughs> but unfortunately, this passage, James doesn't tell us what to do to bridle our tongue. Like we want him to say something like, okay, now that you've seen how serious this is, let me give you three things that, that you can do to tame your tongue. Like number one, admit you have a problem. Number two, be careful with your words. And number three, call on God to tame your tongue. I mean, you expect him to give us some practical advice, some kind of application, even if he says, you can't control your tongue unless you're under the control of the Holy Spirit, which is true, but he doesn't say that. Or he could have said, you really need to pray about uh, your words and what you say, like the psalmist said in, in Psalm 141, verse 3, set, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth and keep watch over the door of my lips, which is a good prayer to pray. We should pray to have a Holy Spirit-controlled tongue. But James doesn't tell us that either. What does he tell us? Well, here's what he says, verse 7. It's not all that helpful. For every kind of beast and bird and reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, a deadly poison. So when it comes to the tongue, James is pretty pessimistic here. He's saying, he's saying this, there's no final solution to the problem that we have with our tongues. No final solution. We've, we've tamed and subdued all kinds of animals. We brought animals under control. The human race is not threatened by any animal, but he says, unlike any animal that we put in cages or in aquariums or that we've domesticated to work for us, unlike all those animals, the tongue is an animal that cannot be tamed. You see that? There's no final solution. There's no A, B, C, one, two, three. The moment you open your mouth, the potential for sparking a fire is always present. Yes, 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 it's true. If, when you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh, as the Apostle Paul says. And when you're under the control of the Spirit, your tongue will also be under control. Your words will be characterized by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. But James says, 
We've all stumbled. We all stumble, present tense, in many ways. And no one, though, can completely tame the tongue because, because in this fallen, broken world, none of us walks perfectly under the control of the Holy Spirit 100% of the time. So yes, praying about the tongue is necessary because the more you make this a matter of prayer, the more dependent on God you become, and the more you realize that you will not willpower your way to tongue control. And yes, he's already told us that we need to listen more and speak less. He's told us that we need to learn to bridle our tongue, and if we do, we can grow to become more mature. So, he is saying that we can make progress in the area of tongue control, but he's also letting us know that this side of heaven, we won't perfectly tame the tongue. But that's not an excuse. It is a warning. Look at verse nine. With our tongues, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God, and from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Brothers and sisters, it, this, it shouldn't be this way. He's saying it's inconsistent to praise God in here, in worship, and walk out of this building and put people down. He says it makes no sense. It's inconsistent, but we do it all the time, don't we? He concludes this discussion by saying, look, there's nothing like the tongue in all of nature. Verse 11, does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, brothers and sisters, bear olives? No. Or a grapevine produce figs? No. <clears throat> Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. He's saying it's worse than you think. There's nothing like it in nature. Olive trees produce olives. Grapevines produce grapes. Orange trees produce oranges. A fresh water spring produces fresh water. But the human tongue is different. We can say good things and bad things. We praise God, but we curse people made in the likeness of God because they're not like us. From the same mouth, James says, we bless God and belittle people. And James says that's a real problem. And there's nothing else like it in all of nature. Now, just in case you're thinking, well, obviously he's talking to unbelievers. Let me point out to you, notice how in verse one, verse 10, verse 11, he addresses his words to my brothers brothers and sisters. He's definitely talking about a believer's tongue, your tongue, my tongue. But again, in these 12 verses, he doesn't give us one suggestion for how we can tame the tongue. And, and I, I, I'm like, God, please help me. I'm talking and I can't shut up. I, I'm a living flamethrower here. James, tell me what to do, but he doesn't tell us what to do. And we want to know what to do. Man, your wife is sitting next to you and she's praying that you're listening to all this because she's a burn victim. And she's hoping, I'm gonna give you ABC one, two, three. Ladies, some of your husbands are praying that you're listening because you're killing them. They, they drive in at the end of the day and they never know what they're gonna face when they walk in the door. One day the orange tree is producing good oranges and the next day it's producing sour grapes and and he never knows what to expect. Parents, so your students come home from school and some days they don't know what to expect. They don't know if you're proud of, of them or mad at them. <clears throat> did they do good or did they do bad? It's a totally unpredictable environment. And that will set the course of their entire life. Students, same thing. Your mom asked you to help out in some way. 
And she never knows if you're gonna say, sure, mom, I can do that. Or if you're gonna shoot back, don't tell me what to do. I'll get to it when I want to. I made other plans. I know what I'm doing. She never knows if respect or disrespect will come out of your mouth. So we all want a solution, an application that will fix things. And I've wrestled with this both personally and as a Bible teacher. I mean, I want help because I know I stumble in many ways when it comes to my tongue. I want help personally. But I also want help as a Bible teacher because I have to answer what I teach you. So I want to teach you something that's gonna help you. But in this passage, there's no ABC, one, two, three, application. Now, I don't think that James dozed off while the Holy Spirit was inspiring him about what he was supposed to write. Like when he got to the application part, he just kind of nodded off. But here's what I think James is doing. My friend Andy helped me see this. I think what James is doing is what my driver's ed teacher did for me years ago. Like back in the 60s and 70s, at the end of driver's ed, they showed you a film, showed us a film called Signal 30. How many of you saw the film Signal 30? Let me see. Okay. It's, it's good. We're getting younger all the time. You know, if you're young, you haven't seen it. It's still available on YouTube. You don't need to go see it. Um, but this was a film about car accidents. And we had already learned how to parallel park and estimate how many car lengths between us and the car in front of us. And we had already been out on the road in the car with the teacher and a couple of other student drivers terrified in the back seat. And we had been through all the driving part and we had taken the test and we're about to get our certificate so our parents can get a reduced rate on our car insurance. And the last thing we do is we watch this film. They show us this film made in the late 50s, I think, and, but it was in color. And all this film was was a series of car accidents. And the camera people somehow got there before the ambulance people got there. And that was the point. So it's at night. It's always at night. And they show smashed cars and mangled bodies and a lot of blood and guts spread out all over the highway. And the narrator is there to tell you what happened. This car was going 70 miles per hour when it struck an oncoming vehicle head on. And you can see how this woman's head went through the windshield. And they describe it and they show you all these horrible things. You even had to have your parents sign a waiver so you could see it. I mean, anybody remember that? Now, today you can rent stuff worse than that. But back in my day, you had to take driver's ed to see it. Now, there are several scenes that are indelibly pressed on my mind. I mean, I can, even talking about it, I can see these pictures flashing. And I mean, and, and, and how long ago was it? What, 15, 20 years ago? Uh, <laughs> when I took driver's ed. Anyway, I remember this one scene where a car had gone over an embankment and the door opened and on the way down, it slammed against a tree and I mean, just cut the guy in half, showed everything. And there was another scene where it focused on part of this guy's brain splattered all over the curb. There was another scene, I'll, I'll just stop right there. It was awful stuff, gory, shocking. And you see all this stuff and the film ends. And I thought the moral was never get behind the wheel of a car. <laughs> but the movie ends they turn the lights on. They say, this is the end of driver's ed. It's been nice knowing you. But it was over just like that. No ABC, no one, two, three. 
Now, you know why they showed us that film? To plant deeply in our thinking that driving is a great thing, but driving carries with it a great responsibility because horrible things can happen when you're not careful. Driving is a great thing, but driving comes with a huge responsibility, and if you don't take that responsibility seriously, you could end up in serious trouble. So, what is James doing with what he's saying here? It's like James is posting a huge warning sign, like he's calling our attention to danger, like this sign. Uh, like, like, and we need the warning sign because we think the tongue is, it's no big deal, but it is. We think the tongue is not really all that dangerous, but it is. We think praising God and putting people down is normal, but it's not. And so it's like he's holding up a warning sign that looks like this. Warning, words in use. A little tongue on fire in the middle. Now that sign doesn't tell you exactly what to do. It only warns you of danger. It says be very careful with your words. And so here's my big idea for this passage and for this message. I think James is saying, warning, unless your faith reaches your mouth and controls your tongue, there's no telling what kind of damage you might do. Unless your faith informs your mouth there's no telling what kind of damage you might do. He's saying, let what you say you believe about Jesus shape what you say and how you say it. I think what James is doing in this passage is he's saying the tongue is a great thing. The fact that we can communicate, we got words, we're not like any other animal because we can communicate with each other. It's a great thing and it can steer the course of your life into unbelievably wonderful things but he says, you also need to remember and never ever forget the incredible power the tongue has to destroy your life and the lives of other people. And you need to remember that that never changes. Just like every time you get behind the wheel of the car, the, the potential for something terrible to happen is always there. And he's saying, with your words, just your words, you can burn down a marriage, you can destroy a friendship, a reputation, a business, a church, and that danger never goes away. And that's why he drills down so hard on the fact that we all stumble in many ways with our words, with the words we use. And, but, and, it's, and it's a, it is a real problem because no one can completely bring the tongue under submission. So with that in mind, Here's my application. I know you, just, you couldn't leave without ABC 123s. Okay, so here it is. Since we all stumble in many ways, and since we can't completely tame our tongues, then number one, admit it when you sin with your words and ask for forgiveness. Admit it when you sin with your words and ask for forgiveness. Be quick to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I've hurt you with my words. No excuses, I'm sorry. Be ready to say that a lot. And some of you may need to go to someone or call someone and you need to say, I'm sorry. I was wrong in what I said. Will you forgive me? Husband, wife, parent, child, friend, teacher, boss, coworker, somebody in the church, you need to go to that person and you need to say, I'm sorry for what I said. No excuses, I'm sorry. What I said was hurtful to you I was wrong to have said it. 
I'm sorry, please forgive me. And then number two, be quick to forgive others when they sin against you with their tongues. In other words, we all stumble in many ways. No one has a perfectly controlled tongue. Every tongue in the mouth of everyone in this room is a restless evil, a world of evil. We have flamethrowers in our mouths. We have scorched people, and we have said things that we regret. So how can you not forgive some, someone who hurt you with their words when you have hurt other people with your words? Forgive as you've been forgiven. Forgive them because you know that you and them both have the same problem. And then number three, commit Proverbs 18, 21 to memory. Just this part of it, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it, in other words, those who love talking will eat its fruits. Good fruit, bad fruit. In other words, there's consequences. Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who eat it will reap the consequences. So there's your one, two, three, A, B, C. Number one, A, admit when you sin with your tongue. Number two, B, quick to forgive others who sin against you. Number three, C, commit Proverbs 18, 21 to memory. Yep, it's true. You can't take words back once they've been spoken. There's no delete key when it comes to your mouth. But you can own what you said by admitting it when you blow it. You can ask for forgiveness and then do whatever you need to do to make things right. Now, I told you I'm no expert in tongue control. In fact, two weeks ago, I, I said a very careless, caustic thing to one of my very best friends. And it was something that we had talked about in private and I kind of went up presuming and making assumptions about it. And it's something that, because it was said in private, I should have addressed him in private. But I confronted him in front of, a, of several other people. And as soon as I left that meeting, I wished I could take back what I said. So I went back in and I admitted that I blew it. I told him how sorry I was and I asked him to forgive me, which he graciously did. And then later I went around to everyone that was in the room and I apologized to them and told them how I had wronged my friend and how I had worked to make things right. So I may not be an expert in taming my tongue, but with the Holy Spirit's help, I can become an expert in making things right with people that I've hurt. Making things right with people that I hurt with the words I use. Oh Lord, let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. And I ask all these things in the name of Jesus, the living word, amen.